In it here now, I'm gonna do now, I'm gonna be on here now, who bid $500,000 bid. Welcome to the Legacy of Agriculture. This program will explore the past, present, and future of agriculture. We'll look at the people, products, and events that have formed its history. And now with today's guest, your host, Chris Bear. Good Saturday morning, everybody. This is the Legacy of Agriculture show with Chris Bear. We'd like to welcome you to this show. It's a brand new show on WNAX and also on Apple and Spotify and podcasts as well. We have started this program because over 30 plus years of traveling throughout the United States, I've had the opportunity to meet many, many people that have wonderful stories that I consider to be legends in agriculture. Their family stories have helped agriculture and helped agricultural families throughout the many years. And after a couple of years of of consideration and thinking about how to start the show, I couldn't think of a better family to start our program with than the Grossenberg family based out of Winter, South Dakota. Those of you that are from the Midwest know Grossenberg Implement. And my first guest on the show is Barry Grossenberg. Barry, thank you for coming and participating with us. Well, Chris, thank you. This is great. Your your family, I've known your family for well over a decade now, and an absolutely wonderful family. I know your son, Charlie, and your son-in-law, Adam Sievertson. Um, very wonderful families, and, and, and you've done a wonderful job in agriculture. But I want to hear your story. I would like to hear and bring to our listeners the story about the Grossenberg and family and how you started back in the early 1900s, late 1800s in um, the agricultural business and then into the implement business. Tell us a little bit about your family and its inception. Well, C.J. Grossenberg was born in Rock Valley, Iowa in 1898, and his aunt and uncle homesteaded in in, uh, Tripp County in uh, 1909, the elders, and, and C.J. would go out as a young man and help hay or whatever, and he fell in love with it. In uh, 1919, 21 years old, he, he bought two quarters of land north of winter by Hamill, South Dakota. That's so, so their inception truly was the turn of the century into the 1900s as well. So um, he married early? Well, uh, he married my um, grandmother was a school teacher and she was 21 and CJ got they got married in 26. Uh, she was out there school teaching and uh, anyway, CJ's sisters back in Rock Valley were going to go get uh, married two of them and they got halfway to Rock Valley and Blanche and CJ said, well, we might as well get married too. And why I can remember that so well is all six of them were back at CJ and Blanche's home in 1976. So uh, all got married at one time. It's about, it's about the kind of actions that CJ and Blanche were. They get, they got things done. So that was 50 years and they all get got together for to celebrate their 50th wedding yep. anniversary. That's that's very interesting. So how did how did CJ get started uh in in feeding cattle in the early 1900s and then eventually started buying and selling a few tractors? Yeah, Tell us about that. Uh, the cattle feeding in western South Dakota did not exist and it like it was all mechanism. It was horses and he had 10 hired men my my grandmother worked side by side with him. My grandmother never cooked a meal in her life. She stayed in the truck with him. She worked in the silage pile with him. 
they worked all the time and what happened is the fat cattle had to go to sioux falls or sioux city or or chicago on a train and blanche and cj would get on a truck and load up six seven eight fats and go to sioux falls and they'd drop them off and drive right back so they worked their tail off getting these animals over there and what got him, Chris, he got to look in, in, in 37, he got to see mechanism coming. And he saw these tractors. He says, well, I'll, I'll start uh, bringing back these John Deere tractors, a backhaul. And that's exactly what happened in 37. He, uh, he started hauling, uh, he signed a contract in Clome, South Dakota, and he started selling uh, tractors to Tripp County. And if I remember right, he'd uh, haul cattle into the market, and then he'd fold the sides down on the on the old probably an old single gas uh, single-sided truck and load those sides down, load a brand-new tractor on top of the truck, tie it down, and then come back home and sell the tractor. Yeah, yeah, it was easy. Uh, from 37 to 41, it was easy to sell stuff. Uh, no one had money, but they had livestock. So CJ would trade for livestock and take it east and bring back tractors. I bet he got two or three tractors, them little tractors on. And so he just, a number of tractors from 37 to 41, it was incredible. He just kept kept driving back and forth and, and uh, that's what got him started. Well, back in the 20s and 30s, the internal combustion engine was just starting to take off, and John Deere had developed the two, the horizontal two-cylinder engines. That was a big deal to agriculture back then, especially when you were farming with horses. Yeah, and you know, that hydraulic hoist that would used to shovel that manure on or the silage on, you had a hydraulic hoist because of the tractor, and it would lift it up. It was, a, it was an incredible change. Um, that, that tractor and them hydraulics really changed agriculture. So CJ saw the opportunity in, in trading cattle and hauling cattle to really east and then uh, loading up equipment and coming back west. When did, John, when did uh, the Grossenbergs have their first opportunity to be a dealership? Well, 37, we were actually a dealer in Cologne. And two years later in 39, uh, uh, the John Deere dealer in Winter was just a hardware store. So CJ bought his John Deere dealership out and moved it for the winter and, and moved into an old lumber yard in 39. And uh, they stayed there till 60 when they built a new store. So what did you do when, when these new tractors were coming on board? Uh, I, I doubt there was very many people that understood uh, an internal combustion engine as well as the carburetor and the ignition system and the PTO and transmission and all of that. How did you overcome, how did CJ overcome those obstacles? He, he, he hired, he had one hired man and he would help them. Like you said, Chris, they, you almost had to ha- help them get started on tractors and mm-hmm. uh and but it was all about service too even at the you know we've always been strong service people even at an early stage it, it was it it we saw that service was everything to implement business yeah it absolutely is service and parts and taking care of the customers after the after the sale is is vitally important i can only imagine some of the conversations that cj and blanche would have in that old truck going down the road when it was 100 degrees outside in south dakota or 20 degrees below zero going going across the country and and uh, cattle in the back as they go east and equipment as they come west it had been interesting to be a part of some of those conversations and now we're into the 40s talking about the war and what was going on with the Grossenberg family. Thanks again, Barry, for joining us. Tell us more. I mean, this is almost like sitting at a buffet and just <laughs> taking in 
taking in the history of the Grosserberg family. Tell me, tell me what happened next. We're into the forties where electric start and your, and your grandfather had signed a contract with John Deere and um, he's now hauling tractors back and forth. Yes. 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 Chris. And um, after the war, uh, everything was money-making. They, they sold Cadillacs and Oldsmobiles and cars and tractors and and uh, and actually they bought a ranch in in '44 a big ranch in Mission for a dollar an acre ten thousand acres and he had Lamro uh, Claude Lamro run the place because he was a party Indian guy and so he was ranching out there too it was a remarkable purchase but uh, so the the war after the war everybody was looking for machinery and machinery is hard to get but we had a big allotment and and i think that took us uh, a step ahead of everybody in the early uh, implement business and my dad was born in 30 and he just loved to sell anything and he'd come he never went to he went to high school he'd come after school and sell a cadillac sell those bill do this and do that and just everything was selling just Dad said it was remarkable. I mean, the the war was everybody wanted something, and and CJ and Blanche and Gene, they 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 had product to sell. Um, uh, in the the rest of the story, my dad did not want to go to school. He didn't want to go to eighth grade. Uh, he just he just rather be home selling and be in the implement business. And his school teacher mother made him go to school, high school, <laughs> made him. And Dad says I didn't want to, but that's Blanche, that's right. His yeah, mom was a school uh, teacher. Yep. Was a school teacher. So anyway, here comes out of high school, and uh, he he comes out of high school, and the and Blanche says you got to go to college, and and he's. Oh, so anyway, he goes to Brookings for a year, and he'd take a Cadillac, a car, or something, sell it, and come back and forth, and he'd do that. He did that for a year, and he had a brand new trailer house, and he and he never went to one class. Is that he right? Never went. And anyway, I said to Dad, "How did you not get in trouble with your dad?" And he said, "Well, my my grand my father C.J. didn't know what zero point zero zero was. He says he closes. That's a good deal. You go to work." And so he come home, and uh, about a year later, my mom and him get married, and uh, everything's going great, and Korea comes, and my dad gets in the middle of a career that you can't believe, uh, goes to Korea as a foreign observer, and he, and he uh, goes through um, three units, 11, 12, <coughs> 11 men went into Korea with him and only him come home, and each oh. one of them saw him die in front of him. And so it's remarkable that he, how I, you know, he's, I, I don't know how he got through that. And anyway, a kind of a side note to that, I, I, he's talked to, he talks about it and stuff like that once in a while. So I, I make this sign, it's 11 men in, one man out in Korea. And this was just about two months ago. And I go to that and dad looks at, oh God, that's nice of you, you know. If you don't talk much about it, you don't get very emotional. So he wasn't very right. emotional. He says, I got to tell you another one. I said, What? He says, yeah, we were sitting in this pit and in this calling and fire, and, the, and they said, get the heck out of there. The first guy goes out, and the shell hits him, and he says, this whole body and whole guts blow me into the into the deal, and not a scratch. Wow. I mean, it, but anyway, so it, was his, a, it was a miracle that oh, he my, came out of, of Korea uh, and, and uh, came back to South Dakota and was able to carry on oh, with the family yeah. business. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, <laughs> 
So your dad, your dad is still alive and yep. still doing pretty well. Yep. And your and your mom is no. As well? My mother died at forty three, uh, cancer, and uh, dad kind of bashed around. He was bachelor for 10, 12 years. About killed him, but he got through it and remarried a nice lady, uh, ten years younger, and Pat. And they get along great, and everything's super. But and dad's dad's mind's good, and he still comes to the shop and interested in everything we're doing. But uh, yeah, now, he's doing good. Now, you guys bought a, 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 a store here recently in Beersford, and I stopped in to say hello to one of your guys there, and uh, I, I saw your dad there, and he was in there giving orders. There's, <laughs> they yeah. he told him to get the pickup loaded up. He had parts he had to deliver to customers, and he was on his way to Sioux Falls, and he wasn't stopping. No, he, he's pretty <laughs> so. he's short. I, I My dad, you know, uh, CJ gets a lot of credit because he's the first guy in Blanche to do but honestly – Gene Grossberg made Grossberg implement. He had the charisma and the stuff to go out, and and CJ was a just a cattle feeder. And uh, Dad, I I give him the credit for getting it off and going. And he went out and hustled and got stuff sold. Now you guys, just just as a sidebar note, you you have a few cows. I know Charlie talked a little bit about having some cows around. Uh, Is that just for the grandkids? That's or? just for. Just for stress relief or something. I That's don't just know. for fun. Just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Well, you can say that the Grossenbergs are still in the cattle business uh, for about 120 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we like cattle, but uh, I I had a bunch, and I'm glad I sold them. They're they're, they're a lot of they're a lot of work. The, the one that got me the oh about three winters ago, Charlie had we had two twins on Sunday in in the shed, and all four of them died. I said, man, this is the great Sunday, and it is just fun. So. <laughs> That cattle business; those guys earn every penny they got. They 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 work their butt off. So now, if if I do my numbers right, Barry, we're we're looking at uh, four gen fourth generation. Yeah, now. Charlie is so Charlie's, Charlie's forty years generation. old. Yeah, he's forty years old. Yeah. Fourth generation. Wonderful family and yep. and and good people. So after the war, and your dad comes back to the war, um, when when do you establish and winter? I know you have a monstrous huge building up on the hill and you got a tire shop there and you've you got fuel islands there and and when did this all really start to take off and grow for the grossenberg family chris you know we're going to talk about a tornado that took our one place but what started uh, the growth of us the um, we were downtown and right next to us a big massey dealer just burned right to the ground in 1960 Okay. And and so in 60, we bought 40 acres on west of winter, and we took the top off, and we put a brand-new Balin, steel Balin building. And so the fire thing was deal. That does, that deal right there was a, a, a change, too, that, that really we said, man, we got to get rid of this. We got to get going. Right. Yeah. So you put the Balin, up, Balin bin up because you were afraid of fire from the Massey-Ferguson dealer that yep. had, had burned down in 1960. That's that's pretty neat. And I want to go back into our first segment. You, you were buying land. There was land to be bought for a dollar an acre, West yeah. River. Yeah. And at, right at the war is out in the reservation, Antelope Ranch, um, sold for a dollar is 10,000 acres. And dad, uh, CJ would run yearlings and stuff out there. And it, this is a story in, in 49, dad's 18, 19 years old. And CJ asked, uh, uh, Mr. Lamro was sitting right there with CJ, and, and uh, CJ says, I'll sell it to you for $100,000. That's $10 an acre. Right. So he made a lot of money. And Dad was there, and CJ said, you want to be an implement dealer or a rancher? And Dad said, an implement dealer. 
and Wonderful. so they sold the ranch. And a side note to this deal, CJ sold it for a hundred thousand. Butsy Dam came in the next day. He says, CJ, I'll give you a hundred and ten. And he said, No, you don't. <laughs> he said, No, nope, no deal, no deal, shake, no yeah. deal. But Claude, Claude, uh, Claude took good care of the place, and uh, actually, that's Barry Dunn's uh, uh, homestead. His uh, the uh, SDSU was that's a Dunn. Uh, okay. family and uh, so, nice yep and and tell me about your growth from the 60s on i the growth from the 60s on was was we had a building hey we had a good building good service in a big area we had we we didn't have a lot of competition west river it, it was us and so we we're selling big tractors summer following uh steigers mostly we sold a lot of big steigers 60 foot chisel plows and we were the only 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 guy in town and uh so our growth in tractors grew uh tremendously uh in 62 which was 125 years uh as uh, john deere was we were invited to the to east moline and we were the second largest john deere dealer in the united states in 62 so we had a tremendous growth and we stayed that way uh our big tractors kept selling our big equipment kept selling uh, we had service guys that lived in Pier, and we had a service guy down in Atkinson that lived there all the time. So I, we were a little bit ahead of everybody in, in getting big, and and uh, we stayed big at at the winter site. So w- when you're selling these big tractors back in the uh, between 1960 and 1970, was there a lot of financing, or did guys have to come in and pay cash? How did you how did you get somebody into a new 300 horsepower four wheel drive tractor and a 60 foot chisel plow? Well, they they uh, they financed them. Uh, we financed them mostly through the bank, and um, we never I we never had much problems. Uh, seemed like people were financially all right, and uh, uh, when people ran into uh, bankruptcy, I think it was some of the implement dealer's fault because he didn't get enough money down. We were always we were always hard not hard, but we said you got to have a third down and make a payment in the fall. And uh, that was our mentality. I know it helped us a lot. Uh, we didn't chase people in bankruptcy. We've had a few, but not a lot. Well, that's that's a wonderful way to do it for sure. The one thing that I've noticed about your John Deere dealership that's a little bit unique from the others is, is you have a massive tire store on on several of your your dealerships. I know that in winter you've got a big tire store there. Uh, you've got a tire store in Sundance, I believe, and and why tires as a John Deere dealer? Well, in 37, 38, CJ was at a trade at deal in Firestone. Harvey was there and they were taking, they were putting rubber tires on these steel tread. That, CJ was selling steel tread. So he, he, he actually met uh, um, uh, Firestone. He was the first for tractor deals. And uh, um, so we started selling tires in 37. We kept selling and, uh, to this day, uh, the tire business is good for us. It mixes really well. Uh, we're a little young at some of the stores. We'd like to get all the stores to get like winter, have the tire business, and because uh, it fits well for the implement business. One thing that I noticed about Grossenberg Implement is is that I, I, sales are always important. I mean, if you, if you don't have a sale, you don't have anything behind it. But Grossenberg's actually ha- or has a extremely impressive service department 
And it, it appears to me in my experience with Grossenberg's is, is that, that that service and selling those parts is more important than anything is. Tell us about your philosophy with on the service side, and especially in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you're exactly right, Chris. We were, we were, we were service, service, service. We'd have service trucks out all over the place. We, we worried about service. We had our own diesel pump and, and, uh, so we focused on service heavily and I think it helped us a lot. Um, we got things fixed. <clears throat> when a guy in, in those of you that are not from South Dakota, when it's January and February and you're knocking on calving season, you got a tractor that won't start and run and you can't, uh, feed those mother cows, you can have a problem really fast. And so being able to generate that telephone call to Grossenberg's and say, Hey, I got a tractor down. I got an injection pump out, or I've got a starting problem or won't hold a charge. I need somebody out there that becomes more valuable than the sale does to, to those, to those ranchers and to those uh, row crop farmers as well. So a wonderful service. So in into the sixties and seventies, winter was your flagship, and it has always been your flagship. And I remember the first time I walked through your shop here. Oh, it's probably been about a decade ago. Your shop never ended. Do you just keep building? <laughs> I I would just I was I was so impressed with the size of the shop, and and I was also very impressed that that uh, at the time. You were doing all kinds of injection pump work and injection pump service on all makes and models and trucks and 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 tell us about that portion of your service. Why why the massive buildings and and why all of the attention to detail to tires, injection pumps, injectors, starters, alternators. Why was that so important to Gr- Grossenberg's? Well, Chris, we're we're, we're out a long ways from everywhere, but it just it just seemed every time we added a facet to it, it was good for us and good for the 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 rancher farmers. And we're way out, you know, West River. There, we're way out there, and we got to have everything. And it, I, every time we added something, it was it, it worked out good for us. And uh, I to say that the reverse side of it, Jackers pumps disappeared. Our pump station's gone because they don't do our radiator. We used to have lots of radiators. Radiators are gone so it's it's coming full cycle some of them places are disappearing but the size of the place will we will we'll add a 40,000 square foot building there within the next couple of years because not so much it's just the size of everything Chris everything we sell is big from a 60 foot air seeder to a 36 roll planter to a big tractors we gotta we gotta we gotta get bigger well, back back in the day, back in the '60s and '70s, if you had a a good tandem axle truck tractor and a and a tandem axle uh, hydraulic beaver tail trailer, you could haul ninety percent. But now that that doesn't even hardly haul the lawnmowers yeah, no, anymore. It don't. So uh, massive transportation is is becoming a a massive issue in the implement industry as well. So so tell me a little bit. Um, we're, 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 uh, Charlie and, um, is fourth generation. He's the CEO for Grossenberg's. You're, uh, you're, uh, I'm, I will never say that you're retired, Barry, cause you, oh. you have, you have too much energy to be retired, but you also have your son-in-law that is the CFO down in, in Wayne, Nebraska. Tell me a little bit about this integration and how that's working and, and what your goals are for the future. Well, uh, Chris, uh, 
Adams married my youngest daughter, and then Adams got a different personality than, than Charlie. And Charlie's, uh, he's got this personality. Adams got a great personality that matches them. So they don't have this button head deal. They get mm-hmm. along really well. Uh, it's a good combination. Um, those guys run the place. They make the decisions. And uh, you gotta, you got to can't second guess. My dad never second guessed me. Tell us a little bit about your your growth. I know that you've you've made some great store acquisitions. You've moved into Wyoming. Now you're here into Eastern South Dakota. Tell us a little bit about the future of Grossenberg's. Barry. Well, uh, in 2005, John Deere's uh, had a, a, all the ownerships together, and he says we're going to get we're going to be less owners. They told us that in 05. You're going to buy or sell. There's no more mom and pops. And they told everybody, and it put a big lip on everybody, including us. Um, but in 07, Pierre and Philip came for sale, and that's the first acquisition. That was, that was you know, that's the first time. It was easy to run the implement business. Just one store, and we did it. Now we had three, and and then uh, that, that, that acquisition was a good one, and it, it, it fit us well. And then we, we in 12, we bought uh, four stores down Nebraska, closed one. It was a real small store. And in 19, we bought the Sundance and Bell. And j- just now we bought Be- Beersford. And uh, each one, um, they say, how do you manage that? that it, actually, technology, we get to see everybody's books every day. We can see the profitability. Uh, the, the key is to get a good store lead at each store. And we got nine of them. And I really think we've got good store leads at each store. And they're all in with us. Uh, the boys, uh, they we train all the time. The we actually do our own service training with uh, Wendy Stevenson, and um, um, I we there's we we could we could expand some more. Um, uh, we're really happy that we got Beersford. It fits us really good, and um, it's worked out so far. Now there's a little bit of history behind the Beersford store, and correct me if I'm wrong. Beersford was the last independently owned John Deere dealer in South Dakota. I know that, but was is that the last independently owned John Deere dealership in the Midwest? Or no, I, I don't know, Chris. But Randy Bach was the last single store owner of uh, in South Dakota. There's no more. That's 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 an interesting piece of history because that's very significant to South Dakota, and what a better fit to come into a good South Dakota family like yeah. the Grossenbergs uh, are. So one thing that I have noticed about the machinery with Grossenbergs is the Grossenbergs uh, stores on the on the west side of your area responsibility versus now what you've got in Beersford is vastly different. I mean, you'll never catch a uh, a big ninety-foot uh, planter out in 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 Sundance, Wyoming, or Belfouche, but in the same token, there's a lot of the equipment out there you won't that you won't be able to. So, how does that work into your trading? It, it kind of works good, Chris. You know, the new ones are sold here, the planters, and a good used planter will go out to Myrtle or Sundance or whatever, and so they're not selling as much new stuff out west. But the good used stuff that is used East River goes out there, and it's very good shape. And it uh, works well. So the tractors, uh, some of the tractors that are first generation, second generation, ten, let's say ten, five and 10-year-old tractors work very well out west. And uh, they probably get used to, in some cases, to the end of its useful life. And yep. and so it works very well into your, into your trade. 
So what is what is Thanksgiving dinner like at the Grossenbergs? <laughs> Uh, I got three kids and nine grandkids. So uh, each kid had three. We got uh, the oldest is a girl, and then we got seven boys and one little uh, five-year-old granddaughter. So Thanksgiving is a big deal at our place. I bet it is. I, I noticed not long ago on Facebook you were all golfing together down in Wayne. Was it in Wayne? Uh, Sandhills. Everybody in May golfs at Sandhills, our we don't bring the grandkids, thank God, but <laughs> no, but we all go there. Yeah, our families, uh, all our families, really tight, and uh, uh, we like each other. And uh, I, I, we're blessed to have good, good everything. It's, the kids are doing good. Wonderful. So I, I've got to ask you, we, I, you, you've had a tremendous amount of experience in the implement business. So those of us that are a little bit younger, I want to ask some advice. If you were sitting in front of a a uh, 16, 17-year-old young man, he wanted to stay in agriculture, uh, whether it's production agriculture or what was the implement business, what advice would you give him? Well, you you really, you got to get your education. That's You got to get through school. I don't care if it's a two-year school or four-year school. Do not just sit on the farm. Uh, you got to get away from the farm. You got to get educated and you come back. And then don't let dad say, yeah, we don't need to buy that quarter either. Don't you, each farm's got to grow somewhat. And these young guys, the way to get a young guy involved is find some land or sign something, have him buy it, take a note, get him broke, so he has to stay there. And if he has ownership of the farm, he will stay. But if you treat him like a hired man, you ain't going to have generation deals. It's not going to stay, is it? it? He's got to have, he's he's gotta gotta have, have a little bit of pie. Of... And, and then just keep, keep giving a piece of the pie. I mean... If dad's 60, 70 years old, sell him at half the price of some land so he can make the payments. In 20 years, he's got to pay for an old dad's got half the money. He don't need – grandpa don't need that much money. Yeah, that's a, that's that's great advice. And the other thing that I've I noticed about the Grossenberg family that's very common with very successful families is the work, work ethic. Mm. I, I, I know that you work – a tremendous amount. I don't think you've ever worked a 40-hour work week. I think you've always been 60, 70 hours a week, haven't you, Barry? Well, I, yeah. I, one, I, I've never taken a Saturday off. If I'm home, we're at the shop doing something. But it's a, we love we love what I love I love what I'm doing. I love our place. Uh, we got great employees and our customers are great. And uh, the only thing we need, pray every day for is rain. Pray for rain. That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, folks, this is Chris Bear with the Legacy of Agriculture. We appreciate our first guest ever, Barry Grossenberg from Grossenberg Implement. We appreciate Barry, and we appreciate our sponsor, Pfeiffer Auction Realty and Land Management. We hope you've enjoyed today's edition of the Legacy of Agriculture with Chris Bear, sponsored by Pfeiffer's Auction Realty and Land Management. Call Pfeiffer's at 605 836 2277.